Welcome and thank you for joining us at Christian International Ministries. Our vision is to help you hear God's voice to change your world. For more information about this and other resources, please visit www.christianinternational.com. Especially in the winter to get away from all the cold weather at home and come down here and frolic in the ocean at night. It's just been so great. I, I'm a little disappointed with how warm it is, but anyway, I'm having a great time. It's great to have my wife, Kathy, with here. She's been here a few times before. Please stand up, sweetie. Um, always great to have her. Um, humor aside, I, I feel privileged to be here, and I do, like Tom and Jane, have an opportunity to preach in many parts of the world and lots of things, but I love coming here. It's one of those rare spots in the earth where God's presence just hangs around. I love Bishop and Mom. I look to him as a real example, along with his wife, of everything a godly man and woman should be. Um, and I love being with Tom and Jane. We all know they're extraordinary prophets and ministers, and that's fine, but they're even better people. Um, I was telling Kathy tonight, the thing I like best about them is they're just real people. You know, some people, they stay in the persona of a minister for so long, it's what they really are. And they can't be anything other than a minister wherever you go with them. Tom and Jane aren't that way. They're amazing parents, amazing grandparents. Um, I hope they don't retire just to grandparenting someday. But anyway, um, they're, Kathy and I consider them friends. We trust them. Um, they're very precious people. And honestly, you're fortunate to have them as your pastor. Um, I, I truly mean that. Um, I preach to churches of thousands and thousands and thousands. So I've seen, been there and done that and all. But these are really great people. Holy Spirit, help us now tonight. Um, lead us, guide us, speak to us in Jesus' name. Just wait on the Lord a moment. Thank you, Lord, for your explosive power tonight. Um, thank you for the quantum leap you want us to take, even in this service. Amen. I'm going to share a word with you which I'm going to entitle from disabled to delivered. In Scripture, there were pools, uh, reservoirs of water, which were supplied by springs or rain. Uh, Jerusalem, which never had a natural spring within its walls, had a number of famous pools. Three of them were Bethsaida, House of Mercy, Siloam, the Pool of Sending, and Hezekiah, which speaks of government and the strength of God. Although they didn't have natural springs, they were supplied by underground aqueducts from springs outside the city. Prophetically, Scripture promises that God will raise up springs in the burning deserts of our world in the deepest valleys of pain. Psalms 107.35 says he turns the deserts into pools of water, the parched ground into flowing springs. Psalms 84.6 says as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. As I, I look around the world today, there are certain places, no matter how dry it is, no matter if the rain of revival has not landed on their location in years, something's always bubbling there. And the reason it is, is they've dug down deep over years in prayer and intercession and warfare and obedience and tapped in to something that springs out of God's heart. 
And so in their church, there's either a bubbling pool of mercy and healing and deliverance, or a pool of apostolic sending, or a pool of strength. And in some locations, maybe two or three of these pools bubble in, this is such a place. How many years have you all been here now, Pastor Tom, Jane? 30 years. 30 years, something's bubbled here. Revivals come, revivals go. This place always bubbles. Hundreds and thousands of people have been ministered to, and that's not hype or exaggeration. And so, despite the promise of being in a place like this, there is an inherent peril to being somewhere where God is just always bubbling up. Now, there are times God seems to be trickling up, gurgling up, but he's always bubbling because they're not a cistern fed by the rain of revival. They've tapped into something. A few years ago, I was in the Middle East, and I had a prophetic dream. Two years before that, I'd visited Jerusalem with my good friend Ron Lewis, who himself is Jewish, and we went to the Pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy. It was in this pool, if you remember, in John chapter 5, that Jesus healed a man that had been an invalid 38 years, almost a full generation. My visit to this archaeological site, and I just marveled looking down at all the archaeology and all and knowing the story of the pool and the angels would stir it, was even more important because two years after that visit, I was in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, and I had a a prophetic dream from the Lord. And in this dream, I was crawling down a long tunnel-like shaft into the darkness. At the end of the tunnel was the archaeological site of the Pool of Bethesda. How many of you know that's kind of weird? Now, I'm so young, I don't have as many dreams as Tom and Jane, who are, of course, much older than I. But anyway, okay, young men visions, old people dreams. Okay, just kidding. Now... I'm really older than them, unfortunately. All right. Now, the end of the tunnel was this pool of Bethesda. I sat down on a stone-carved bench near the pool and just began to preach. And people were gathered around this miraculous pool. These were the first words out of my mouth. This is one of the greatest traps that any Christian can fall into. And I woke up. I want to talk to you about some deadly mindsets that can come into your life when you've grown accustomed to living around a pool where God periodically does miraculous things and things just bubble up. I want to go into your mind tonight in the next few minutes, I'm not even going to preach long, and show you by the Spirit of God seven barriers that if we're not careful, can keep us from our miracle, can keep us from our quantum leap. So I've done that. The worship team is going to come back up. We're going to stand up and just go back into worship and see what God might do. Now, let me read this passage to you. According to John 5, that you know the story, the Pool of Bethesda was a place where God was supernaturally healing people, and from time to time, an angel would touch the waters of the pool. How many of you would enjoy that pool? You were sick and you knew you could be healed there. You just camp right there. When Jesus walked into the pool's vicinity, there were a large number of disabled people all waiting to be healed 
underneath the five covered porches which were around the pool. The Bible says that among them were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Why is it, beloved, that the churches, even great ones, are filled with broken people? Like Tom and Jane, Kathy and I have the privilege to just to go around the world. And everywhere we go, we look out in great churches with ministry and anointing, we see people blind to their purpose, lame in some area of their life, and paralyzed in something. Not just physically, but maybe financially, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally. How can you live in such proximity to God's gurgling power yet stay lame, paralyzed, and blind? Now, we know God works in suffering and all those things. I'm not talking about that God doesn't use suffering. So I I go in many churches and I I see this and I'm in a quandary. God is moving. Now, let me tell you, even as Jesus visited the pool of Bethsaida to demonstrate to them another way, this church is coming into a time of very unique visitation. And Jesus is going to begin to walk through your midst and things are going to break out, not just from the front, but all over the church. In fact, Jesus, as much as this church is famous for laying on of hands, Jesus himself is coming to touch some of you directly. You're going to watch this. Watch it week after week, what happens. It's why I feel to speak this message. I've not preached this message for for a number of years. I preached it, then I haven't preached it maybe for three years. I look back. This, I think, three and a half years ago or something. I can't remember. Now, sometime later, out of John 5, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid For 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That may seem like a strange question to you unless you've ever been invalided for a period of time and that now defines your personality. That sickness, the pity it generates, the lifestyle of pain and self-pity that can come with it. The longer you're sick, believe it or not, the more that can even become an issue deep down. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Does it surprise you that he's looking the Lord of glory in the face and asking for a human? In fact, he is reducing God himself to the level of his faith thinking that big strong carpenter might be able to throw me in the water and get a miracle. We somehow reduce Jesus down. Sir then replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. It's just not fair. Everyone else gets their miracles. Why are they touched? And I've been in this church so long. I've been here since the beginning and I'm lamed, Pastor. 
Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked, and the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. It's against the law. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this is one of the most frightening passages of Scripture in verse 12. So they ask him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Does this kind of surprise you? That you receive a miracle of this magnitude and don't pursue God? And don't follow Jesus? I mean, this stuns me. This man's been waiting for a miracle 30 years. He's walking and Jesus walks away and he doesn't follow him. Like, what's it take for a human to pursue God? Was he pursuing a miracle or was he pursuing the miracle maker? That becomes a very subtle problem in our life. Because when you get your miracle, if you stop seeking God, you've just discovered you were never pursuing God. You were only pursuing what you wanted from God. And that sometimes that's why your miracles don't pan out and they don't last. Now, let's go a little deeper here. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, he never found Jesus. Jesus hunted him up and said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I'm going to go deeper into that in a moment, but how much time did he have to sin? I mean, he just had healed. He'd been crippled 38 years. Was he making up for lost time? I mean, what was he doing? His sin was an attitude of unbelief, was an attitude of passivity that wouldn't even pursue God after he healed him. Then the man went away and told the Jews, Jesus made me well. Now, I want to talk to you in these next 15, 20 minutes before we go back into worship, seven barriers that can be in our soul. Seven barriers that can hold us back from what God wants to do. But why is this so important? Well, if Jesus is going to begin to walk through this church in a fresh way, I want you to begin to identify the things on the inside of you that might cause you to miss a moment. First of all, he had what I'm going to call a construct problem. Listen to me carefully. Based on 30 years of tradition, he had constructed, listen carefully, the model in which Jesus was going to heal him. He had just figured it out. It was all he had ever known. In essence, this model is what I've designated the miracle moment or the revival model. Simply stated, if we just wait long enough or attend enough church services, our big divine moment will come and all of our problems will be over. Tragically, like the disabled people around the pool, this model, as legitimate as it is, maybe in some cases, can blind its adherence to the normal way that God moves in the lives of his people. Look at me. This man had his eyes so much on the pool, 
He was blind to the man who'd been sending the angels to stir it for years. If I just get a prophecy, if someone will just lay hands on me, I mean, this may be my night. It's somehow we treat a miracle like there's a heavenly lottery in every service, like you pull two or three numbers and you get your miracle. And many of us in our own minds, we build this construct. This is how God's going to heal me. This is what he's going to do. And the construct is typically not based only on the word. It's based on your experience with the word. So if God's going to heal me, well, like maybe it's going to be at church. And, you know, if God's going to heal me, someone's going to lay hands. Those are wonderful things, and they're all biblical. But it's not the only way God does it. Do you know God does make home visitations? Did you ever know that? Like he really will come into your home? Did that that ever dawn on you? In fact, churches just practice for what you should be doing. Do you realize David himself brought the Ark of the Covenant into his home? It's why when Solomon married the princes of Egypt, he wouldn't bring her into his dad's house. He said, the Ark has been in there. Now, this is interesting. You know one of the saddest stories to me? You remember the centurion that had the miracle? Jesus was on the way to his house. And the man said, I'm unworthy for you to come into my house, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. We marvel at his faith. I marvel at the sadness that he lost the opportunity to have Jesus come into his house because of his shame. And I'll tell you something. He could have been the Cornelius that opened the Gentile world. But because of his own shame, he got a miracle that the master didn't get in his house. Don't make that mistake. What if Jesus wants to heal you at home? Like, what if he wants to heal you when you read the Bible, assuming you do? What, you know, why is, why, pastor, nothing ever happens in my house. Well, maybe you're not doing in your house what you do at church. Maybe you're not worshiping. Maybe you're, I know that's a novel thought. Maybe you're not praying and seeking the face of God. Maybe he's more at home in this house than your house. Now, so this man had this construct. He, he just couldn't imagine there was any other way that this Jesus was going to heal him. He had it figured out. If Kathy could testify, when, when she'd had epilepsy after having cancer and having a stroke, getting treated for cancer many years ago, she didn't get healed at church. She, didn't get, we, she was here. She had hands laid on her. More a miracle evangelist prayed over her. Prayer cloths, prayer blankets, prayer coverings, spit on, pushed. I mean, scriptures read to her. She got healed reading, when we were reading the Bible together instantaneously. If we would have limited God to church, where would we have been? Now, secondly, he not only had a construct problem, he had a contact problem. This, does this boggle your mind? As much as I'm committed to the fact that God uses people to help us. How many of you believe in laying on of hands? If you don't, you're in the wrong church. Prophecy, laying on hands. I mean, listen, if you're in this church over a few years, you've had hundreds of hands laid on you. Now, it's a wonderful thing, but do you realize Jesus may want to stick his hand on you himself from time to time? Think about this for a moment. Jesus is looking him in the eye. Think about this. God is looking him in the eyes. Do you want to be healed? Why do you think God would ask you that? Because he wants to get something at the root and heal you. The guy goes, sorry, God, I don't have a human here to help me. Think about this. Just, I'm incredulous. Jesus saying, how would you like to be healed? Uh, don't bug me right now. That pool could just like stir up at any moment. Wait a minute. 
kind of big, you look kind of strong. Ah, you know, really, I need a human to carry me to that pool. You know, I might prophesy over you, but there's something better than that. God himself might just come touch you directly by his miracle power. You see, beloved, I believe in prophecy. I love prophecy. I'm sure I'll get prophesied over here before I leave. I love it. But beloved, what if Jesus just wants to touch you himself? What if when you're worshiping, he just wants to touch you? What if he's walking through these aisles, really looking around to heal people in a different way than they expect? Could that be you? Could it be you? The third thing we find is he didn't just have a contact problem, he had a confidence problem. This broken man had a confidence problem. He was reducing God's power to the level of his own personal faith. In other words, even though the glorious son of God was present, he had reduced him to a strong working class Jewish lad who possibly had the strength to win the race to the pool and chuck him in when the angel came. <laughs> Beloved, if feel free to reduce God to your level of faith, but it doesn't work well. Oh, like God, if you arrange it this way, I'll bleed. Uh, Jesus, stay right here another few years, and next time your dad wrestles the pool, you're a big lad, you can run me in and throw me in there. Instead of allowing the word to raise us to the level of faith where God wants us, what is it in us that drags that down? The fourth thing we find is he had a comfort problem. In John 5, 8, Jesus told the lame man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Many believers like this man are waiting for God to heal their disability, whether it is spiritual, emotional, financial, or racial, before they get up and follow him. Sadly, in the majority of cases, healing and transformation come after we walk, not before we walk. I can't walk. You crawl. You can drag yourself. Talking to Jane earlier, and she had a little physical affliction. I said, Play, one thing we learn is play injured. You say, Pastor, I can't walk. Can you crawl? We're like waiting. Heal me and I'll do it. No, do it and I'll heal you. Just like step out. Lord, I'm going to tithe once you bless my finances. Well, enjoy waiting. You might want to tithe, then I'll bless your finances. Well, that's a, that's a radical thought. Stand up. But the man also had a control problem. I want to understand this one. When Jesus commanded that disabled man to pick up his mat, he was dealing with some of the deepest religious traditions in the man's life. If that man picked up that mat, he risked being ostracized by his own people and cast out of the temple because he was violating the laws of the Sabbath. Like this man, many believers are disabled because they have allowed some tradition, whether it's religious, intellectual, ethnic, or social, to control their life. Jesus will typically ask something of you to break something in you that's had more control over your life than he does. When Jesus said, stand up, the man got that. Think about this for a minute. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, pick up your mat? And that's kind of stupid. Was, okay, maybe he just was like, okay, carry that mat around and everyone's going to know I healed you. It's like your healing mat. 
Well, how many of you know he didn't need to carry the mat to know he was healed? He'd been there 38 years. Why? I mean, I'm going to carry my... Why? Jesus realized what it would take for that man to pick up that mat would break something in him that would release a miracle. It wasn't about the mat. It was about what was keeping him from picking that mat up. Standing up didn't break the Sabbath law. Picking up that mat did. And he knew if that man stayed under the control of that Pharisaical religious system, number one, if he got a miracle, it wouldn't last, and he probably wouldn't get one. You see, there's many times there are deeper-rooted issues in us that God is after. And in the process of our miracle, there's typically a mat to pick up. There's something to deal with. There's something in your mind, some tradition, some ideology, some ethnic bias, some you know, church prejudice deep in your mind about the word and confessing the word. And God's after that. Because in reality, there was a religious system that was also impoverishing that man. And if he did not pick that mat up, he could have stayed in that system. There's something he's after. And there's something he's moving to break inside of you. Maybe it's an arrogance. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's a way of doing things. There's only one reason he had to pick that mat up. Jesus wanted to make him violate the Sabbath and call him out and break something that had paralyzed him. The fear of the Jews, his mom, his dad, I'll be thrown out, I'll be excluded, I'll lose my place. Jesus says, I'm going to break that off you, and we'll see. The next thing that was happening is Jesus was moving in this man. We find he didn't just have a control problem, he had a change problem. Now, this is what staggers me. Jesus heals him. How many of you is fairly happy? And Jesus slips away. You know, God ain't going to say, hey, thank me. I just healed you. Oh, no. Let me tell you what I've learned from God. When God does his biggest miracles in our life, he'll slip away to see if we are pursuing him or pursuing his power. He just wants to know. He'll go, let me see if Jim's going to follow me when he got that miracle. Let me see if Jim is going to be and Kathy is going to be as diligent to thank me for healing them as they were in asking me to heal them. Let's just see. That man didn't even look for Jesus. Give me a break. He didn't even ask who that was. Didn't even ask the name of him. Is that incredulous? Didn't even know the name. I just said, that my God, where'd he go? Man, where'd he go? And Jesus waited around to see. And then they said, catch this. And they said, you violated the Sabbath, you picked up the mat. Who told you to? Ho, ho, ho. Jesus is getting ready to find out who's he going to be controlled by. Who's he going to be controlled by? He's going to go back under that system, back under that control, back under that false lifestyle. And you know something? Jesus is watching the whole thing out in the crowd. 
He's watching to see, is this man going to have a miracle moment or a miracle for a lifetime? If he'd have stayed back in that system, something else would have crippled him, if not physically, emotionally, or spiritually. I'm going to see if you follow me after you get what you want. I'm just going to find out. You go home and live as if it ever happened. Some of you wonder, why am I always going from crisis to crisis? Because God knows it takes a crisis for you to ever seek him and spend time with him. Seventhly, seventh, this man had a commissioning problem. Like Christ, we've been commissioned to walk in a broken world and call people into discipleship, transformation, healing. And you know something that's interesting? That man went back. Jesus, Jesus now here's the scary thing. The man went back. He never looked for Jesus. Jesus hunted him down. The Pharisees have gone away. Jesus came back out of the crowd. Here's what he said. Later. How much later we don't know. Was it a day later? Two days later? Three days later? Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What sin was Jesus speaking of? How about the sin of not seeking God, the sin of not pursuing God? The sin of living ignorantly of what God had done. And that man was so convicted, he went away, hunted down the Jews themselves and said, Jesus made me well. Tonight, Jesus is here to touch you. Yes, there are ministry teams. They're, they're wonderful. And you can receive ministry before you leave and But I'll tell you something. Jesus is here. In a moment, you're going to stand to your feet and we're going to begin to worship. Come back into worship. And I want you to open yourself to Jesus tonight and just say, Jesus, come touch me. If you're near someone and the Holy Ghost tells you to lay hands on it, feel free. But we're going to worship. I don't know what our great worship team is going to do. They said, what should I do? I said, beats me. Just do something. Just bring us deep. Stand to your feet. I love the rain. I love the stirring in the pool. I love the rushing river of God. You know what I like better? Jesus looking me in the eyes and saying, Jim, want to be free? Want to be well? Want to be touched? Take Rise up, break that control in your life, and be well.